Our second reading this morning is um, Joshua chapter 24. I will read verses 14 through uh, 30. Hear the word of God. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And God said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard All the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are our good shepherd and we pray this morning that you would feed us uh, with your word and that you would um, prepare us, our hearts, our ears, our minds, uh, to hear what it is that you have to say to us this day. This we pray in your precious name. Amen. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity. Choose this day whom you will serve. 
as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Serve, serve, serve. There are a lot of ways that we talk about or describe being a Christian. A lot of names that we use for people in the church. Sometimes we talk about other Christians as believers. Christians believe, we believe certain things about God, about Jesus, about ourselves. And we say that we're Christians because of these things that we believe. Believers. That's one name that we give to Christians because what we believe is important. Sometimes we talk about Christians as disciples. A disciple is a student. And so when we call ourselves disciples of Christ, what we mean is is that Jesus is our teacher and we're gaining some kind of spiritual knowledge from him. Disciples, that's another name that we give to Christians because what we learn and what we know is important. Sometimes we call people in the church professing Christians. To profess is to declare out loud in front of the world what it is that we believe to be true. When you join this church, you stand up in front of everybody and you profess your faith. Last Sunday, we used the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? We used the words of that catechism to profess our faith. Professing Christians. That's another way to name the group of people who are part of the kingdom of God. Because what we profess, what we say in public is important. But think for a moment about this idea. What if instead of believers and disciples and professors, we were to use the word servers for those who are part of the kingdom of God? Believers believe things and disciples study and know things and professors say things, but servers do Things. What if instead of believers and disciples and professors, we were to use the name servers for those who are part of the kingdom of God? Our scripture reading this morning from the final chapter of the book of Joshua alerts us to the fact that it is what we do, it is whom we serve, that reveals who we are. More than what we believe more than what we know, more than what we profess, what we do reveals our inmost being and character. So what if, instead of being Jesus believers or Jesus disciples or Jesus professors, we were to use the name Jesus servers for those who are part of this eternal kingdom? Think about that for a minute. And then ask yourself, can I honestly call myself a Jesus server? Five days a week, my wife gets up before it's even light outside so that she can go exercise. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, she gets up at 4.30 a.m. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, she gets up at 5 a.m. Three days, she goes to the gym, and two days, she runs with friends. She gets up early because exercise is important to her. She gets up early because 
her relationships with her running partners are important to her. It's not what we believe, it's not what we know, it's not what we say, but it's what we do that reveals our inmost being and character. Ava's actions on a regular basis demonstrates to the world that she's a runner, that she's a fitness enthusiast. Now, let me offer you a counter example. Myself, like my wife, I believe... That regular exercise is good for the body and soul. Like my wife, I know that regular exercise is good for the body and the soul. Like my wife, I am willing to declare in public that regular exercise is good for the body and the soul. But there is no way you're getting me out of bed at 4.30 in the morning. To go running in the cold, dark streets of Willow Grove. So there's no way that I can honestly call myself a runner. Or a fitness enthusiast. It's what we do. It's what I do. It's what Ava does. It's what we do that reveals who we are. We've come to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. We began preaching through this book Way back in January, this book is an amazing story of God's guiding and protecting His people, the children of Israel. Long ago, God had promised their ancestor, Abraham, that the land of Canaan would be theirs. And now, after hundreds of years, they've been brought into the land. They've been given victory after victory in battle. They are secure. They are at peace. They are well provided for in this land flowing with milk and honey. And Joshua, their God-ordained leader who led them into the land, is at the end of his days. And as a final word, he says to them, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's final word to the children of Israel is a rebuke. And it's also a challenge. He rebukes them for being double-minded and irresolute. He rebukes them for not being wholehearted in their service of the Lord. And he challenges them to do what it is that he is doing. To make a conscious and deliberate choice to put away any idol that might compete for their attention or devotion or service. So that they might serve the Lord alone with their whole heart, soul, and mind and strength. And by the power of the Holy Spirit... This scripture also rebukes and challenges us today because we're not so different from the children of Israel. Now let me give you two very basic rules about biblical interpretation. Rule number one, if the Bible says do X, Y, and Z, that means that some of the people who first heard those words were not doing X, Y, and Z. For example, if the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. If the Bible says, bring in the whole tithe. It says those things because some of the people who first heard those things were not doing those things. The Bible never commands us to do things that we're always doing anyway. A biblical command is always to do something that we're not doing that we should be doing, or on the other side, to stop doing something that we shouldn't be doing. 
Okay, that makes sense. That's the first rule, right? Rule number two, if a command has been captured and preserved for us in Scripture, that means that that command was not only for those people who first heard those words, but it remains useful for our benefit today. And so when we read, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness, choose this day whom you will serve, we can be confident. Joshua first said those words to the children of Israel because not everyone was doing that. There were some who did not fear the Lord. There were some who did not serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. There were some who needed to choose that very day who they would serve. That's why Joshua needed to say those words back then. And we can also be confident that those words have been preserved supernaturally for us in Scripture because God's people continue to need to hear those words today. Because some of us do not fear the Lord. Because some of us do not serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Because some of us need to choose today, November 3rd, whom we're going to serve. Now maybe you're thinking... Whom else would the Israelites serve? Their God is Yahweh. He's brought them out of Egypt. He settled them in the promised land. Of course they're going to serve the Lord. But in verse 14 of chapter 24, we heard Joshua say, Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Yes, they worshipped Yahweh. But they also continued to serve these other gods as well. Yahweh was their main god. But they kept some other gods over here on the side. And they probably didn't think that there was any real conflict in serving more than one of these gods. I mean, these other gods, after all, were the gods of their father. These were the the traditional gods. Maybe they were nothing more than good luck charms to them. I think as moderns, we have a hard time grasping how all of this Old Testament talk about idolatry applies to us. I mean, we don't have statues in our houses that we make offerings to. We're not Hindus. We're not pagans. We're Christians. But the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, applies... The Old Testament teaching about idolatry to the New Testament church. It's very instructive for us. In fact, I would encourage you to go home today and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this afternoon. In this passage, Paul links Old Testament idolatry to things like drunkenness and sexual immorality and grumbling about our circumstances. He links Old Testament idolatry to all kinds of temptations. And he also says that the temptations that we face as Christians are really the same temptations that everybody faces. Paul links Old Testament idol worship to desiring anything that is evil, to desiring anything that is outside of the will of God for our lives. And Paul talks about the struggles of the Israelites, the struggles that they had in the Sinai wilderness. And he says to them, and I quote, Now these things took place back in Sinai as an example for us living in the church time so that we might not desire evil as they did. Anything that draws us away from God, anything that is ungodly, is a kind of idolatry. And the sacrifices that we make to those idols 
are our time, our money, our energy, our emotion, and our attention. The way we serve these idols is with time, money, energy, emotion, and attention. So when Joshua says, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness, choose this day whom you will serve, this is a call to us today to what might be best called Christian integrity. And by integrity I mean that state of being which is whole and undivided. The problem with the children of Israel wasn't that they were not serving the Lord. They were serving the Lord, but they were also over here on this side, also serving other gods. And so their inmost being was divided. They served the Lord sometimes, and then they served other gods other times. They served the Lord with part of their heart. I'm afraid that sometimes we too, as Christians, are in this same boat. We serve God sometimes. But plenty of times we're serving other kinds of things that are not God, that are not godly, that might even be sinful. And so we are internally divided. We're double-minded. We're not wholehearted. We lack integrity. Now let me clarify something just so that you don't misunderstand me. Wholehearted devotion to God does not mean spending every waking minute reading the Bible and singing hymns. Wholehearted devotion to God does not mean spending all of your money on the work of the church. Wholehearted devotion to God does not mean using all of your energy to do evangelism. Not even pastors should live this way. There are two biblical principles which explain Christian integrity and wholehearted devotion to God. The first one is this. Everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have comes from God. And the second is, the first portion of everything that we have is devoted to God. Now let me separate those two. First, everything that we have comes from God. This morning, I'm able to stand up here in front of you because God has given me breath and life and consciousness and health. Now last Tuesday evening at the prayer meeting, I was not able to stand up here because I was feeling sick at that time. Now, I don't create my own life and I don't create my own health. Neither do I earn them. God creates them and God gives them to us as a gift. And that places me under an obligation to use my life in a way that honors God and in a way that doesn't violate His law. For part of my week, during my working hours... That time is spent serving this congregation. That's the work that God has called me to. But he's called others of us to different kinds of work. Perhaps you're a teacher. And during your working hours, you spend your time serving students. That's the work that God has called you to. There are many kinds of godly work. But outside of the working hours, I have lots of time each week to do other things. And I do them with the life And the strength that God has given me. And I need to ask myself, is this a godly use of my time and strength? Is this book that I'm reading pleasing to God? Is this conversation that I'm having 
honoring to God? Is this leisure activity one that God would approve of? Is this food that I'm eating and this drink that I'm drinking making good use of my life and strength and health that God has given me? We can analyze our whole lives this way. Is this thing that I'm doing something of God or something of the devil? Now I hope, I mean those of you who know me, you know I'm not a legalist. And there are plenty of my more scrupulous Christian brothers and sisters who don't approve of everything that I do. In some churches and in some Christian communities, we're asking questions like, is it okay to watch this movie? Is it okay to go dancing? Is it okay to drink a beer with a friend? Is it okay to enjoy a cigar? Is it okay to listen to popular music? Some Christians in some churches have a lot of rules about those kinds of things. Now, we Presbyterians don't fuss about those kinds of things these days. But it wasn't always that way. A former pastor of the... This is a little aside... A former pastor of this church, the Reverend Dr. William Feely was his name, he got hauled before the presbytery and was forced to resign his position because he got caught drinking gin rickies at the Trocadero down in Philadelphia. Now the year was 1910 and it caused quite a scandal. Newspapers around the country, Philadelphia, Washington, Baltimore, Camden, covered the brouhaha. Here's a Here's an article from the the Scranton Truth. Preacher admits he took gin rickies. Philadelphia, September 17th. Admitting that he visited a theater in the interest of sociological study and took gin rickies for the health of his kidneys and an occasional whiskey and beer on general principle... Reverend Dr. William H. Feely has resigned, blah, blah, blah. This is a great article. You should read this sometime about our own people here. In his defense, you know, the the pastor says that he was in such a compromising establishment because he was conducting sociological research in the interest of evangelism. I'm not sure that was the case, but I don't stand in judgment of him. I'm not a legalist about these kinds of things. But one general rule that was suggested to me years ago by an elder at Belfield Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, it stuck with me. He said to me, if you can ask God's blessing on the pleasure that you're about to partake in the way that you would ask God's blessing on a meal, then you're probably okay. If when I crack open a novel, I can pray, thank you, God, for this book. May it refresh me as I read it, then I'm probably in safe territory. I think it's a wise rule. So principle number one, everything that we have has come from God. Principle number two, the first portion of everything we have is devoted to God. Now this is the principle of the Sabbath and the principle of the tithe. The first day of the week is set aside, it's consecrated to holy use. The first portion of our income is set aside and it's consecrated to holy use. Too often what we give God instead of the first portion is the leftovers. We use everything that we want and if there's anything left over, well, we'll give that to God. We go to church if there's anything else that we need to do. We drop some money in the plate if all our bills are paid and there's nothing else we want to buy. And when we do that, we're guilty of idolatry. 
Because we take something that's been given to us by the one true God and we use it to serve another God. And that, of course, is a recipe for disaster. So let's never make that mistake. Now, personally, I've recently felt convicted about this principle of first fruits that it should apply also to the first and the best hours of my day. Now, all of us have certain times of the day when we're sharpest or, or at our best. Are we setting aside those moments of the day for God? Or are we giving Him the leftovers after we've spent ourselves doing everything else that we need to do? And I have to tell you the truth. That I've been using the first moments of my day, the day, the time that I spend with my first cup of coffee, not to commune with God and to get set for the day. I use that time to read the newspaper and to do the crossword puzzle. And I'm not sure if I'm being overly scrupulous in saying that maybe that's not the right thing for me to be doing. Next week we're going to be beginning our 21 day of a period 21 day period of prayer and fasting here at uh, the church Sue Belinsky talked to us a little bit about this last week and there's information in the bulletin and a sign up uh, board in the back there we're doing this 21 days of fasting because God is calling this congregation into a fresh season a fresh chapter of our lives, a, a season of wholehearted devotion. And a piece of that's going to be a two-year commitment that this congregation is entering into with our denomination's Go Center. That'll start in January 1st. The Go Center uh, is a church vitality and evangelism organization within our denomination. They will walk with us. They will challenge us. As we seek to launch this new era of growth in this congregation, as we look for ways to turn our attention away from ourselves and to turn it toward the needs of the people in our community that God has called us to serve. This will be a time when we're going to focus less on keeping the 99 found sheep cozy and comfortable and spend more of our time and focus and energy on finding the one sheep that's still outside of the fold, wandering around lost and in danger. The 21-day period of prayer and fasting is going to be an opportunity for us to turn aside from the idols that we've been feeding. And to turn away from the gods that we've been keeping on the side. And to focus in an intentional way on serving the Lord alone in sincerity and in faithfulness. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness, the prophet says. Choose this day whom you will serve. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Let us pray. Father God, we do honor you and bless your name this day, and we thank you that you call us uh, in special ways, and that you call us with purpose and with intention, that you have plans for this congregation and for the members of this congregation, that you're leading us in, in, in fresh paths and in new ways. We thank you that you are calling us to focus more faithfully and more sincerely on you and on the work that you've called us to. Lord, we pray that we would be 
people of integrity, that we would be wholehearted and single-minded. We pray that claiming the title of Christian for ourselves might be based on what we do rather than on merely what we believe or what we say. Lord, may we be not just hearers of the word, but doers. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.